That Reuben sandwich looks fucking disgusting. It's, it must be awful. I make Reuben sandwiches for myself all the time, and that looks horrible. I was, I was out on the road when I received this surprising news, and it took me more than a few minutes to properly process it. I began to think about William Shakespeare, the great, mm. lit- the great literary figure. That I, guy? Yeah, I would reckon he thought of himself as a dramatist. The thought mm. that he was writing literature couldn't have entered his head. His he probably wo- thought he was a player, most of all. <laughs> his words were written for the stage, meant to be spoken, not read. When he was writing Hamlet, I'm sure he was thinking about a lot of different things. Who are the right actors for these roles? How should this be staged? Do I really want to set this in Denmark? His creative vision and ambitions were no doubt at the forefront of his mind, but there were also more mundane matters to consider and deal with. Is the financing in place? Are there good enough seats for my patrons? Where am I going to find a human skull? I bet that the farthest thing from Shakespeare's mind was the question, is this literature? But, like Shakespeare, I too am often occupied with the pursuit of my creative endeavors and dealing with all aspects of life's mundane matters. Who are the best musicians for these songs? Am I recording in the right studio? Is this song in the right key? Some things never change, even in 400 years. Not once have have I ever had the time to ask myself, are my songs literature (laughs) so i do i do thank the swedish academy both for taking the time to consider that very question and ultimately for providing such a wonderful answer (laughs) Um, bob Bob dylan and billy shakespeare just two hard-working guys trying to make ends meet you know what, Joe? I, I know you want me to, you're expecting me to laugh at this, but I, I think he's totally right, actually. <laughs> it's rather charming. Yeah. Uh, think of it that way. Uh, it's the most charming you could be while comparing yourself favorably to William Shakespeare. Totally. Um, I haven't read a lot of literature acceptance speeches. Uh, the two I always think of are William Faulkner and Toni Morrison, which we were assigned to compare in our junior AP English Lit class. Um, and uh, uh, the Faulkner one is justly famous, but um, he he definitely does not strike that tone of uh, charming uh, self. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Self uh, deprecating. 
that's the word. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, actually, uh, props to Bob because uh, a that's the right attitude I think he should have, especially given the nature of his work. And B, um, uh, he's totally right. Shakespeare didn't even fucking write his plays down. <laughs> they had to uh, reconstruct a lot of them from the memories of the actors after the fact. So, um, you know, he's he's kind of right. Who do you think, uh, when he receives his Nobel Prize in uh, 2040 or so, uh, who will Kanye compare himself to? <laughs> First of all... <laughs> That can never happen. Second of all, uh, hmm, uh, Kanye is obviously above and beyond all human comparison. Uh, only deities um, of the stature, at least of, say, the Babylonian pantheon, uh, I think, are are worthy of the comparison to Kanye and his um, his just magnificent genius. So he'll say something like, "When when Zeus." was uh <laughs> binding the titans he didn't think of himself as a god <laughs> he was just like am i using the right elemental forces to keep these <laughs> primordial will the, beings down will the press cover my fashion line this season <laughs> <laughs> you know i gotta say that was well we'll get into this but that was that was one of my big beefs with uh, uh kanye's uh, meeting with trump was his fashion choices but anyway um uh, if if the Swedish Academy does name Kanye its Nobel Prize winner in literature someday, then uh, for all that I love Kanye's production, um, uh, we need to blow them up with the dynamite they were founded with. Welcome to Savage Beast. I'm Joe Gallagher, uh, and with me, as always, uh, the man who said from the beginning that our world was totally fucked, it's Paul McLeod. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Still fucked. I just checked. Yes. That's why this episode, we're going to be mostly living in the past. Mm, Yeah, the past. (laughs) When we were farther away from uh, our imminent doom. I think of it more as like a, a brief um, halcyon uh, moment when we thought we weren't doomed, but we were actually doomed the whole time. And oh, yeah. now we just know it. Right. Right. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> before before we go there, before we talk about uh, the best songs that we discovered in 2016 that are not from 2016, uh, mm-hmm. let's uh, this this week big news and music. Uh, many, uh, young people's, uh, musical hero, Kanye West, uh, met with many young people's, uh, dark disillusionment (laughs) personified Donald Trump. Um, Paul, what's your instant take on this meeting? So, my first thought when I first saw that Kanye was supporting Trump, which is a classic Kanye troll move, um, even before this meeting, uh, I think he tweeted something to the effect that, you know, Trump is great. Uh, he said, was, if I had voted, I would have voted for Trump. Right. Sure. Fair. Um, he 
I think he's probably, he probably, he's probably registered in California, so it doesn't matter. Um, uh, my thought was, uh, so, uh, does he think that Trump cares about black people? Which I have since seen other people on Twitter ask. It's a fairly obvious question. So, I, my take is just, has he adequately answered that question? Because it's a pretty fucking good question, if you ask me. I think that to, uh, what I would say is going back to when Kanye originally said George Bush doesn't care about black people, uh, to reevaluate that statement as mm. being made solely for publicity's sake and having had no <laughs> substance behind it whatsoever, um, as really most of Kanye's life afterwards sort of proved or at least public career um, that is yeah yeah that is the uh the most parsimonious explanation i think Con- uh, kanye as a another as a trump like figure in mm. terms of a vacant uh sociopathic um you know uh, pursuit of fame and uh, accolades and success uh, is is seems more and more accurate. Yeah. Um, now that you put it that way, that does seem to be the skill that he and Trump have in common is uh, uh, trolly self promotion that is highly effective. It's like a virus in the uh, in the uh, attention media system of uh, modern society, and uh, they uh, they are both uh, powerful vectors of it. And it's interesting, like, the way we might value Kanye's creative output as um, excusing those, or sort of, um, you know... uh, At least counterbalancing. Counterbalance, right, right. Um, I don't know, others might say, well, The the Apprentice is great. Wow, what great (laughs) entertainment. Or that Trump's, or maybe perhaps, like, Trump's business, you know, his great business success is, you know, <laughs> akin to um, college dropout. Hmm, maybe maybe there's something, there's a parallel to be drawn here between the way that Trump is a famous businessman despite the fact that uh, uh, he's really living off his dad's fortune plus um, some savvy publicity uh, is analogous to the way Kanye is a famous producer even though uh, mostly he just tells other people to produce stuff and then he sort of uh, picks the good parts and uh, puts them together, which is a skill, I will admit. Um, And actually, uh, despite the comparison I just made, um, Kanye's skill is better and more valuable, but uh, uh, they're both assholes. We can probably agree on that. Better and more valuable to us. Uh, To the world. There's really... (laughs) <laughs> if you think if you think uh, the Miss Universe pageant or The Apprentice is uh, really enriching your life, um, uh, man, we need uh, not so many people like you in our society. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, I, I just wonder, maybe I'm being more cynical uh, mm-hmm. and uh, about whether Kanye's albums have added any value to my life or any uh, real I, I will stand by the uh, the power of a great Kanye beat, um, even if it is mostly people like Mike Dean and, and uh, 40 other collaborators making those beats. Um, you know, just as a, a director uh, is not holding the camera and saying all the lines on a movie, there's there's some value there.
uh, the film version of Savage Beast is has already uh, recorded two episodes comparing uh, Kubrick to Trump. <laughs> no, no. Who's the uh, Harmony Corrine is the guy is the director version of that? Maybe. Um, <laughs> I think it's probably pretty easy to find uh, film directors who have yeah. strong parallels with Trump. Uh, that's uh, that's yes, agreed. Oh, like the the last Tango in Paris guy who it turns out uh, yeah. filmed a rape scene for yep. this movie. X just told Marlon Brando to rape somebody. Mm, good mm. good times. Art. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was sarcastic. Art. Everybody, just to be totally clear, I'm not down with that. Yeah. If Kanye ever uh, puts somebody being raped on one of his songs, I will stop defending him. <laughs> that uh, wow. That's a line in the sand. <laughs> Oh man, we're in so much trouble. Anyway, uh, we are. We are. Uh, this this whole podcast needs to be deleted from the internet. Um, no. There are no consequences anymore, Joe. If we've learned nothing else, that's um, true. That's true. Um, we will both be senators someday. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I'm sure lots of people have had this experience. Uh, all the times we and our friends said to each other, "Like, ha we can never be president after we said something awful in a private communication," but turns out you can just broadcast that it's yes. fine right as long as you're a white male yeah well we are so yes right yes um mm, privilege mm, yes uh so uh any final thoughts on kanye and trump do you do we even know what they talked about or is it just kanye showed up and they broed down for a minute i don't think any real specifics have come up uh supposedly they talked about uh, some issues like getting down to like, you know, violence in Chicago. But, well, uh, you know, if, if some good can come from that, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I will say that it was interesting that many of my uh, younger coworkers who are huge Kanye fa- fans were uh, visibly shook by this, uh, uh, new collaboration that well, he has put out there. Maybe then there's some value in uh, scales falling from young people's eyes about Kanye because totally. it's been pretty clear he's totally. he's a troll asshole for a long time. Yeah, um, the Democrat they'll get them to come to the next uh, uh, Democratic Socialist Happy Hour here in Portland. <laughs> And, you know, maybe they will also recognize that uh, plenty of your favorite artists are troll assholes in real life. And, um, you know, unless that art actively involves crimes, as we just discussed, uh, that's uh, not really the worst thing in the world. It doesn't totally invalidate their art and everything. But we've covered that subject before. We We're have. Fans of Billy Corgan. We have. Oh, man. So, so <laughs> close to the pumpkin out. Pumpkins Minute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's it that's all i'm gonna say about it um all right should we get to our main topic joe yeah we so we uh i think paul pretty early on in the life of this podcast you expressed that you wanted to do a year-end feature uh including music from any year but the current one really i totally uh, forgot that yeah this was an original joe idea no um I, well you suggested some version of that and uh and then i said let's do uh, things not from 2016. Um, I think your version of it was 
um, actually like waiting until uh, later in 2017 to review mm-hmm. 2016. Yeah, I'm uh, still done with that, but yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, so uh, what uh, we agreed to do was send each other uh, music from that we discovered this year uh, that was not from this year. Uh, if I haven't said that in enough uh, different versions <laughs> yet, um, which is something that I tend to do. I'm, I'm particularly slow in coming to music. Uh, I, it takes me a while to find stuff. Um, and I also kind of have a, uh, fetish for, uh, music that is, uh, obscure or rare, Mm-hmm. Uh, if I have, you know, this idea that there's this band from, you know, Pensacola that was big in 2001 for six months, you know, that's, I, I want to listen to that and see if there's like some hidden, hidden jewel there. Uh, none of this yeah. stuff, uh, reaches quite that level, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, one of your less uncharming fetishes. So, um. <laughs> there we go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, so uh, lay one on us, Joe. I want to hear one of your tracks. Sure, uh, Paul. How weird do you want to start? Uh, let's let's just get weird, man. All right, it's, it's 2017. All right, hit me with uh, uh, William Onyebor's Onyebor. Let's go with that. William Onyebor's Atomic Bomb. <laughs> was Atomic Bomb by William Onyebor, a Nigerian funk musician uh, mm-hmm. about which whose life is uh, shrouded, I wouldn't say shrouded, but is uh, f- uh, populated with uh, confusing and conflicting details. Um, <laughs> I like to imagine, <laughs> I like to take what you just said literally and imagine that in his own life he experienced it as a series of confusing and conflicting details. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As many of us do. True. Um, uh, so uh, he um, operated uh, primarily in the 70s and 80s um, before becoming uh, a born-again Christian and ceasing to release music. Um, apparently lived a kind of 
interesting life before that, maybe lived in Russia for a bit. Um, hmm. And uh, when Luaka Bop, uh, David Byrne's record label, uh, tried to track him down, uh, they had some difficulty. Uh, same with Vice. Uh, but they ended up re- releasing, uh, re-releasing some of his best uh, uh, tracks and songs anyway, um, one of which is this uh, long and absolutely hypnotic uh, tune, Atomic Bomb, uh, which... Um, does that kind of like mid cold war? Well, I would say it's more of a, in the U S it would have been, maybe this song would have fit more with a fifties vibe, fifties or sixties vibe where you were kind of fetishizing the imminent destruction of the cold (laughs) war. Um, here it's turned into kind of, a uh, the, the, the tension of a love song is, uh, combined with that, uh, mm-hmm. that fear. Um, and, uh, I found it, uh, hypnotic and, um, compelling, uh, and, uh, just totally, totally unique, you know, so, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's hard, uh, to find, um, something, uh, this ambitious. That's also uh, something you haven't heard before. And that's why, um, try and say for all these songs why it happened to captivate me this year. And I think that's it. Uh, I hadn't heard it before. Yeah. Um, so I listened to this when the reissue dropped, which was uh, last year or the year before. Um, and uh, this, uh, this I, I don't totally remember it because um, I haven't re-listened to it since then, but this I think is definitely one of the standout tracks from the collection. And... Um, uh, <laughs> this is a great song. The uh, I love that it sounds. It really does sound like um, a dude in Nigeria in the '70s, just absolutely making the most out of the limited tools available to him. Um, am I correct in remembering that he played and sang everything himself, or is am I making that up? I believe so. As far as people know, I, I believe yeah. that's true. Yeah, but it is mysterious. That's yes. correct. Um, and. Uh, <laughs> I love the juxtaposition of uh, the romantic sort of torch song that we've got going on here, uh, which is, um, and but combined with charming sort of lo-fi funk uh, that is uh, quite funky, actually. Um, it's uh, a lot of times the best thing you can do with being bummed out is put it over fun party music. And this is, uh, this is fun party music that manages to keep your attention for the full eight minute running time of the song, uh, which is also impressive. Yeah. It's a, um, it's a solid groove. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> and then when he starts singing like atomic bomb yes. in a falsetto, like it's both, uh, touching and hilarious, which is, uh, uh, I, I'm going to use this word a lot, I think, in this podcast, but I found it uh, extremely charming. So uh, yeah. put this on at your next house party, I say. It, it gets stuck in your head in a, a, a charmingly creepy way. <laughs> uh, I will note that um, if you like literally any music, uh, any music genre born in America, uh, which is you know, 95% of them are the result of, uh, you know, our country uh, being full of uh, freed and enslaved African-American people. (laughs) Um, 
if if you just just dip your toe into any part of like post-colonial music in Africa where the same sort of mixing of um where that sort of that music from the west from uh, America and England and Europe kind of came back into Africa and was, you know, in various places being freely combined with, you know, the music that was already there. Um, you just find a lot of amazing stuff like this. Uh, and that, that music is, is still being discovered. There's, you know, whenever, um, there's a, you know, Pitchfork had a reissue of music from, uh, Upper Volta, uh, yep. this week that was it was fucking great because it um, you know just when when you know those when like the western music combines with the music from a particular African country the results are um, almost always compelling yeah um, which is why cultural appropriation is a good thing people um, yes dropping the <laughs> dropping the atomic bomb um but really you know uh by the way i realized i just laughed at uh after earlier rapid laughing about rape i laughed about slavery so i just want to be clear these are uh nervous laughs because all you can do in the face of horror is laugh there's nothing good about those things savage beast endorses neither sleep nor ravery I'm not even going to correct it. <laughs> no, that, was, that was the high point of our podcast. Uh, oh my God, Joe, that was, that was great. I'm retired. <laughs> I'm retired. I'm, reti- <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to retire immediately. Okay. I have to, I have to stop laughing so we can just leave this all in. Um, uh, oh my God. <laughs> all right. Good song. Yes. Good musician, uh, Paul. Uh, please play play something uh, from uh, your yeah uh, uh, your discoveries. Yeah. So unlike you, I uh, I gave you like eight times the musical uh, running time to listen to because uh, I mostly think about things in albums, which is neither here nor there. Um. So uh, I'll pick a representative track from uh, John Lennon's Plastic Ono Band album. Uh, namely the opening track, Mother. Thank you. 
All right, that again was uh, Mother by John Lennon from his album uh, Plastic Ono Band, which um, uh, a lot of these albums that I discovered from a long time ago were uh, reissued this year. But um, uh, despite the fact that I like the Beatles, I have never like exhaustively gone through their catalog and uh, certainly have never gone through their post-Beatles solo career catalogs. Um, uh, this is a big blind spot. Uh, I blame the fact that I was born in the 80s, and uh, there's just a shitload of old music to uh, go back and rediscover, especially if you have uh, sort of an underground bent like we do. So anyway, uh, I take it as I have excuse to to find it. And um, uh, this album is really good. Uh, it made me realize a lot of new things about John Lennon. First of all... Um, Possibly he should be loved first and foremost as a vocalist, which is not to denigrate his songwriting or playing skills, but uh, he's a great singer. Um, you don't even hear some of the stuff in that sample that uh, I like the best from his singing, which is um, sort of that twist and shouty way he can really, uh, when he takes the top off the vocals, uh, it just is extremely powerful. And um, then the other thing that really struck me about this album and that I think has always struck people about this album is uh, that you get something from it that you don't really always get from the sort of weirder, poppier, artier Beatles output, which is, um, you know, a lot of his personal uh, angst and anguish that, uh, <laughs> you know, he probably was self-medicating with marijuana and LSD a lot of the time. Um, but, uh, you know, that can go... Uh, that can go bad for a lot of artists. Uh, plenty of people just end up being whiny, but uh, just reading the lyrics of that one verse we listened to, um, it's pretty devastating uh, when he finally sort of opens up about his own uh, personal uh, history. And um, so, yeah, that, uh, that sort of new approach to lyricism and then the fact that this album is actually pretty stripped down by John Lennon standards. There's a lot less of the studio... Uh, wizardry that then you get with the Beatles, which I love the w Beatles studio wizardry, but it's cool uh, just hearing what he could do with drums, bass, and guitar, and voice, and piano, and so forth. So uh, definitely an album that uh, I will be returning to in the future. Uh, you know, John, yeah, John Lennon's mother like died when he was a teenager, I think 16 or 17. Um, right. And you're right that this album, he... Uh, addresses that directly and a lot of other personal issues in his life uh you know the the that he only addressed uh, obliquely in this Beatles output um either because at the beginning he was more driven by uh commercial uh demands and later mm -hmm. by uh sort of the uh psychedelic <laughs> um our artistic uh, insanely huge ambitions of the group. Um, yeah, the fact that he was busy like inventing the fact that pop music could be art. Yes, right. That took a lot of work to uh, <laughs> basically invent uh, the um, modern conception of rock and roll. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he, that, that did take uh, most of his power. Um uh, you know, John is my favorite Beatle. Uh, I think he, sure. he, he uh, I didn't realize that um, for a while until he really took me in with his vocals, like you said, like Twist and Shout. 
um, and a few other songs he's able, even when he's not letting go and, you know, at Mm -hmm. that point where he seems like he's going to go hoarse screaming, uh, he is really human. Um, uh, he, he comes off as a working class hero, uh, (laughs) to use the titles of one of these songs. He seems like a guy down at the pub. Um, and I think that's one of the things that song working class hero or isolation, like even when he's singing about the peak of fame, uh, you know, it's the best version of, you know, being famous sucks, uh, yeah. that genre because they directly relate to, you know, the isolation we might feel or that, uh, demand we might feel to be sort of like, a uh, you know, a, a perfect version of ourselves, um, even as like an everyday person. Uh, and, um, which is why, uh, it's so compelling and this, and this album, which is so personal is, you know, particularly one of his best, um, and uh, there's a lot of other things to love on this album. I mean, it's got uh, these driving funky beats mm-hmm. and this uh, sandpaper guitar. Uh, mm-hmm. There's it creates a you know sense of urgency and desire uh, with that uh, itchy static is how I describe <laughs> the guitar. Um, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's 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 definitely as you know the Beatles uh, n- never explored what would happen if they just tried to be uh, an amazing rock band uh, with all, you know, they, they went a different direction. Um, and it's, it's, it's nice that both John uh, and uh, George, uh, you know, kind of uh, realized that in their, their first solo albums. Yeah. The George album is another one that I definitely need to go back and listen to. Um What's it called again? Yeah, that album is called All Things Must Pass. That's right, yeah. And so it's I've, one of the best albums uh, of its time. Okay, I'll, I, with your endorsement, I will now go back and actually listen to it like I've been meaning to. So um, this podcast is fruitful. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I endorse everything you just said about uh, John Lennon and this album. It's, uh, it's pretty great, and I'm a bad person for not listening to it sooner. Uh, I have one note, you know, this album was recorded uh, at the same time as, uh, this is John Lennon, yeah. Plastic Ono Band, and it was recorded at the same time as the Yoko Ono, Plastic Ono Band. Yes. Um, we might want to get into this later, uh, but I do want to uh, come clean in that uh, I love Yoko Ono, um, and I think she's uh, an awesome artist. Yeah, uh, I also thought about mentioning that album, which uh, is also excellent, and uh, interesting because it was recorded, I believe, with the same personnel at basically the same time and is totally different and weird and really cool. Yeah. Um, I discovered it at the same time as this one. And uh, perhaps it's only the pop immediacy of John Lennon's album versus the uh, weirdness of Yoko's that uh, made me choose his over hers. But there's yeah. certainly nothing wrong with Yoko Ono Plastic Ono yes. Band. Right. Well, she's not as good a musician as uh, John fucking Lennon, but she yeah. is. Um, she's pretentious in the best way, and I that just, may be true of literally every other twentieth century and after <laughs> musician. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I'm a big fan of uh, I'm a big fan of Yoko Ono and using highly conceptual art uh, to spread a positive and useful message of personal action. 
that's how I describe <laughs> her. And that it led to a lot of good. I think it inspired a lot of uh, John Lennon's honesty uh, in these albums, um, and then maybe inspired some less good stuff later on in the seventies. But you know, well, like a year later, I was so. This, oh yeah, right. <laughs> listening to this made me like read the John Lennon wiki page, and um, it's like, yeah, they've got this great collaboration that uh, you know. Uh, leads him to all this journey of self-discovery and this these two great albums from the both of them. And then like a year later, she's like telling his secretary like, yeah, you should just fuck John because we're over. Um, so uh, true love doesn't exist, I guess, is the moral of the story. Yes. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, that got dark quickly, uh, as things do on Savage Beast. Indeed. Um, all right, so let's play let's play one of my tunes if you're ready let's. to move along. Um, I am. Uh, <laughs> let's play a song by Guided by Voices uh, called Tractor Rape Chain. <laughs> Fuck. So this song is the uh, official winner of the Joe Gallagher uh, 2016 uh, song that I'd listened to when I was pretty drunk and just on Spotify uh, over and over award. (laughs) (laughs) That's good because he was probably drunk when he made it. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Guided. Uh, It's the first Guided by Voices song that I've liked. Um, which mm. was a big, that was a big hurdle for me. I never <laughs> knew if I would come to like this band. And here I am, finally found my uh, entry point uh, into them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> God damn it. Um, I will say that this song, uh, uh, Tractor Rape Chain, I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Um, okay, I have a note here that says to ask you, does Tractor Rape Chain actually mean anything, Joe? Yes. So what it means is there are rapeseed fields, um, oh. which are bright yellow when they're in bloom. And then you see when the tractor drives through them, it creates two 
parallel lines that go through the hills of rapeseed yellow that never meet. So it is wow. a it is it is a metaphor for a relationship um, where two people are going along but never meet. Um, wow. I, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Our most problematic crop. Yes. Um. Although I can't say uh, for sh- I, I have to feel like he heard the name. Uh, he figured that out and was like, yeah, this works on more than one level. Oh, absolutely. There's no <laughs> question. <laughs> he didn't call it tractor rapeseed chain. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yes. And, uh, yeah, if you, if you Google, uh, Google image search, uh, rapeseed field, okay, you, will, you will see, <laughs> right. I'm not Googling rape chain. <laughs> wow. This is a problematic episode. Um, uh, so, so. all right. Well, pivoting, pivoting away. Okay. Yeah. From, from the title. Uh, I, I love the, the indie production on this song, uh, that, uh, don't give a fuck jangly feel, um, where it, 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 you know, about 20 seconds in, it really kicks in, uh, and they just, you, you do feel like they were drunk and were like, yeah, this distortion sounds fucking awesome. Uh, let's play this, uh, really quite, uh, well-written, uh, song, um, like this. And uh, the result is um, very uh, uh, do I want to say moving? I don't know. it's the, the result. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the the result is a um, very personal song. Yeah, no, there's definitely something uh, just the the melody and the the chords uh, do achieve a sort of poignancy. Um, even, uh, and that's actually enhanced by what I just learned about the, uh, 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 actual logic to the lyrics that is otherwise totally opaque. Um, so, uh, I don't begrudge you any of that. I will, I will quibble with your saying that you love the indie production because I know lo-fi is totally the guided by voices thing, um, and is a whole, uh, subgenre of indie rock unto itself, but Listening to the song, I am convinced that there's no reason it wouldn't be even better if it were just competently recorded. Um, <laughs> that, uh, yeah. <laughs> again, it's it's a good song anyway, but um, uh, uh, I just have to uh, be real with everybody about the fact that uh, uh, a real studio would have enhanced the song. So moving on beyond that, though... Um, I totally agree. This is, uh, I'm not a huge GBV fan either. It's, uh, something I feel sort of ashamed and inadequate about. Um, but, uh, they do occasionally, uh, create just a really awesome, um, a really awesome pop song. Another great one you might want to check out if you haven't already is a game of pricks, uh, mm-hmm. always with sexual imagery with him. But um, uh, it does the same thing of being an amazing pop song buried under layers of uh, uh, sounding like it was recorded on a Walkman, um, but uh, and and perhaps actually was. But uh, yeah, this is a this is a good choice, Joe. I, I thank you for bringing it up. You are welcome. Yeah, they're definitely the they're they the sound they evoke for me is that of like walking into a bar and you're like, Oh, this band's pretty good. 
Like, you know, it's kind of a <laughs> shitty bar and there's only 20 people here. You're like, wow, I'm really into this. Um, yeah. And you, you know, you might be uh, kind of uh, in a different state of mind when you do that. But um, <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, that's all. That's all I've got on this. Let's listen to um, let's pick a hop along song, Drew. OK, uh, I I had a song that I liked. Do it. Um, it is a Diamond Mine. Okay. Waxing on the bed. I had to do it. She said, if you let a child be a child. Hop along with uh, Diamond, sorry, Diamond Mine from Get Disowned, um, which now that I think about it is also the name of an album by uh, uh, RGAG2, I think. But anyway, um, no, it's not. I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> Don't pretend you know the name of any album. <laughs> what I'm thinking of is the name of the theme song to Mad Men that he did was called A Beautiful Mine. Um, so uh, that was just a total crossing of the wires in my head, and we should cut this. Anyway, um, so Hop Along is a band who uh, released an album last year uh, that I liked so much uh, called Painted Shut that I went back and listened to this one, Get Disowned, that I somehow missed uh, at the time. And um, uh, they did release that other album last year, but I only listened to them this year. Uh, so it qualifies anyway. Um, they're in some ways, they're just another one of these, uh, amazing, uh, alt rock revival bands, uh, fronted by, uh, a blasted voiced woman who sounds awesome. Um, that we have been talking about loving all year on this podcast. But, uh, what I think separates them a little bit from some of those bands is uh, a little bit of what you heard in that track. Um, that they add just a few other elements that weren't really part of the alt rock template, you know, some more uh, synths and um, sort of weird melodic things going on uh, that 
uh, take it to the proverbial next level. And uh, I appreciate that. Um, it's cool to uh, see that template being used in slightly new ways. Um, it makes me feel a little bit less like I'm just a hopeless nostalgist. Uh, you know, what is it about the, this band that um, makes it such uh, ear candy for you and I, like what, <laughs> what is it? I, you know, and I think, I honestly think they share a quality with, you know, one of our favorite albums of the year, car seat headrest, Steens of denial, that there's mm. something in this that we're like, this is fucking amazing music. Um, yeah. that, you know, not, not every single person with great indie music tastes looks for, um, or is their number one thing. And I, I'm trying to, I was almost trying to figure out, is it, it's like, is it the tension and release that like instant catharsis that's there uh, within the alternative rock structure that uh, that just draws us to this kind of band? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I see. This is why I worry that I'm a nostalgist about it because I can't really put my my finger on it. You mean um, just that, right? Maybe it's just that it sounds like something we liked as from our childhood and that like our teenagehood, and that's it. That, that's my fear. Yeah. But I guess I'm reassured by the fact that I also like other things that weren't from that time period. Right. Um, it's, it's hella. I mean, this is hella good. It's so good. <laughs> it's Actually, really good. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know had, had missed this band. Um, uh, I, I I I'd, I'd listened to a track like here or there, but not really paid enough attention. And sat down and listened to the album here, and was kind of like, holy shit! Um, yeah. this is just a really good band. Um, I, I think mm-hmm. it has a little touch of more pop punk or just some sort of punk in it than maybe mm-hmm. some of the other bands that we might first um compare it to like i don't know like dilly dally or something like yeah. that this is definitely a little poppier has a little more neutral milk hotel uh yeah uh, and uh, and also some of those weird elements i was talking about like yeah. having sort of just her singing over a sort of weird synth melody thing like yes that's, it's cool that it's just a little bit different um, well, it yeah, it does bring in something from I think not just the '90s, but also from the the early to mid 2000s that mm-hmm. that sing along indie uh, that happened there, the or the hop along indie, if you will, where you <laughs> you know something like um, clap your hands, say yeah, um, mm. which is not not that that's the predominant feeling here but just that there's sort of lessons learned from what's called uh i don't love this term but it's called blog rock um, <laughs> uh you know tv that's a on terrible the radio. term you should yeah you should not love that term. yeah but you know it's right yeah it's like a you know this the cloud that encircles you know bands like tv on the radio mm-hmm. um uh it kind of describes what they were doing at that time um yeah uh but yeah, this is a great album, and Hop Along is a band that, um, you know, if you like this podcast and like what we listen to, this this band is up your alley. Yeah, and actually, I just remembered how I heard about, uh, how I came to discover them this year, which is they, I think they may have toured with Speedy Ortiz, and if they didn't, Sadie mentioned them on Twitter, not to dive into Sadie on Twitter, uh, but... Um, 
that she she gave them props and I saw the tweet and uh, that was one of the better random musical uh, recommendations I came across via the internet this year. So um, totally awesome. And uh, hopefully they continue making music. Uh, yeah, I hope so too. Um, so next, yeah. ba- next band, next song, next song. Okay. Um, let's listen to Arthur Russell's. I couldn't say it to your face. I couldn't say it to your face, but I won't be around anymore. I couldn't say it to your face, but I won't be around anymore. I needed a place, so I walked in the door. I couldn't say it to your face, but I You know, sometimes the song just really reaches out and grabs you. I mean, that's that's something that I say uh, again and again on this podcast that I'm looking for those songs uh, that um, you know seem to express something that I've been looking to put into words but couldn't. Um, and this one definitely qualifies. Uh, probably my favorite single song that I've heard this year. Uh, Arthur Russell, he uh, is a a singer-songwriter, a folk musician, experimental musician, many different um, uh, hats, um, who he he died uh, around the age of 41 in 1992 of AIDS, in poverty and relative obscurity, uh, even though having... Uh, dated Allen Ginsberg and collaborated with a lot of very famous uh, uh, musicians, including David Byrne. Um, and he um, has sort of been um, revived uh, in the minds of um, more cur- more recent generations um, as a uh, you know titan of um, you know in- indie music. And, uh, and, and sort of what, what came before Indy, um, I think that he, um, you know, there's, a like, for instance, Sufjan, uh, and Vandra Banhart and Robin all contributed to the, a recent, uh, tribute album to him. Um, and, uh, this song, which I'm pretty sure I heard at a bar, um, you know, suddenly, you know, I'd heard his name before, but I had really never listened to his music and, uh, uh, it, it brought me to it and, you know, it's, it's a really wide variety of, of work, all sort of in the acoustic singer songwriter, you know, lane, um, but with a lot of variety, um, 
and uh yeah and um it's just this song uh, the you know the two things are i mean it just it starts with the chorus which is just um uh and it's like such a good chorus uh mm-hmm. that um you know you're just immediately like taken and kind of dragged into it um and you're just right there with him you know thinking about um you know the the central lyric which is you know uh i couldn't say it to your face but um i won't be around anymore uh and just that sense of that fear of disappointing someone and knowing you've done it just is a it's such a like powerful emotion that doesn't necessarily have like a specific name but that he sort of shapes um, in the song right there. So yeah, I love this song. It's a, it's a beautiful song. And, uh, as I said, uh, possibly the best one I heard this year. Yeah. It's like the compounding the, the self-loathing of failing at a relationship with the understanding that you're too much of a coward to even deal with it properly. Um, that is definitely a powerful emotion. And, um, I agree. So do you know when the song was actually recorded? Because I can't actually find it on the internet. Uh, it seems to be part of a later, you know, compendium of his work. But Yeah, I, d- I actually don't know. That's a great question. I, I don't know. Um, I think, yeah. It sounds like sort of a 70s era type of thing. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, uh, but, you know, there, there are a few dudes uh, sort of trying to revive this sort of, if it is 70s, 70s singer-songwriter thing. The uh, Tobias Jesso Jr. Uh, had an album this year that sort of worked in this vein. And uh, mm-hmm. some people I've seen have uh, put uh, the great Father John Misty into that category. Um, but uh, uh, this this is one of the best examples of that kind of thing to my mind, this particular song. I listen to a lot of the the compendium that it's on. And this one, this particular track really stands out. Um you know, this kind of music, it really depends on uh, just the sheer quality of the songwriting, which, as we've discussed, is something maybe because of our lack of technical musical knowledge uh, that we find uh, difficult to put our finger on sometimes just why it works. But I guess that's true for a lot of people with a lot of art. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you're totally right. This song is uh, just the combination of um, that really uh especially uh, it struck me as especially dark when i phrased it when you phrased it the way you did just now and and then i rephrased it um it's a pretty pretty bummed out emotion um but combining that with sort of easy listening really good songwriting is uh always effective i think that's probably the best thing yeah. to do with <laughs> major bum out type of uh emotions in pop music um uh, but just technically, like there are some things that really stand out with this song. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know uh, who, uh, maybe it was him, maybe it was somebody else, did the drumming. But I love the way the snare always comes in just behind the beat, uh, sort of John yes. Bonham style. Yes. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's funny because it, it's so noticeable that uh, both of us apparently noticed it. Um, uh, and even though we're not really... Uh, hyper rhythmic musicians or anything but um it's uh it's just really cool the 
the combination of both the recording and his songwriting. And, you know, really, I had, I've been hearing about him for probably a decade or something. And before when I tried to get into him, I listened to his, I think later, uh, sort of weirder uh, cello uh, experimental stuff which seems like something I would really love because I love experimental music and I love the cello. Um, and I couldn't really get that into it, but, uh, uh, hearing this, uh, just regular pop song and, uh, how good it is, even though he can't even, he can barely even sing is, uh, inspiring me to go back and try again. Um, yeah, he's, a he's an interesting, uh, and fascinating dude. And, uh, I, I, think honestly like i don't have that much more to say about it because um i don't think that i know enough about him yet to comment (laughs) more um only that uh i think this uh collection which is called love is overtaking me is probably the best it seems to be a really good place to start um although when i was listening i was interested listening to this um actually uh, uh again tonight with the wife and she was like um she mentioned she was like yeah i really like some of these songs and some of them i'm really not into and it's true like even uh, you know when he's in this mode uh there's such a wide variation in what he's doing that it it it's not uh it's not all gonna work for for a person yeah, like I said, I mean, it's really just dependent on how particularly good that song was, which um, I won't hold the less interesting stuff against him because uh, some of it is really great. Yeah. All right, uh, Joe, are you prepared to listen to uh, Rachel's? My body is ready. <laughs> All right, this is Arterial from their album System Slash Layers. Okay. That again was Arterial by Rachel's. Um, so this is an album and indeed a band that I had never heard of before. Uh, once again, they were reissued this year. And um, uh, I don't even know if band is the right um, word for them, but because they seem to be uh, like three composers who worked together, which is sort of a weird thing that doesn't really happen that often in classical-ish music. Um, but... Uh, 
this album, um, sometimes I go into these reissues with some trepidation because a lot of times it turns out like, eh, it turns out everybody who just used these ideas later um, sort of kept the good stuff. Um, but this one immediately jumped out at me, even though the album itself is, uh, it's a little over an hour long and they're sort of, there are a lot of sort of like music concrete uh, uh, passages that, um, you know, I rarely find music concrete that engaging, but um, th- when they're when they're doing things like you heard on that track, uh, sort of taking the tropes of minimalist composition from the second half of the 20th century um, with lots of interlocking uh, melodies and so forth uh, that, you know, repeat uh, repeat over short time periods and then vary just a little bit over time and just turning it a couple notches towards like older, more romantic styles of classical music. Um, it, it really, uh, maybe because I'm an unsophisticated, uh, jerk, but, uh, it really sort of combines the best of the, the past and present of classical music with something that sounds very modern to me and yet, uh, doesn't skimp on beauty, uh, whatsoever. So, um, on this track and a lot of the others on this album, um, I just find them totally enchanting. Uh, Paul, I of course understand what, uh, music concrete is, but maybe you should explain <laughs> it for our listeners who don't. Oh, it's, uh, combining, uh, sort of non-musical sounds, often field recordings ah. and, uh, atonal stuff, um, into, uh, sound collages or even combining them with more composed stuff. Uh, then it is a technique used uh, by uh, one of my favorite uh, bands of all time, Penguin Cafe Orchestra. Uh, much of the Whoa. same. Yeah. I've yeah. never heard of this band, Jeff. You've never heard of Penguin Cafe Orchestra? Holy shit. All right. We won't get distracted. Uh, <laughs> it is important to say that if you like this record, uh, you have much just to, uh, you have much joy ahead of you uh, listening to uh, the best of. Uh, Penguin Cafe Orchestra, whose uh, greatest hit, Perpetua Mobile, you have no doubt heard in like 10 different commercials, unfortunately. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, Rachel's, um, less eloquently than you, I will say that uh, they are a moving and uh, uh, bright uh well, let me hear it. Let me describe it. There, there's this pattern here where there's this foreboding, sinister tension broken by sudden shudders of like clear blue insight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really the best example of this pop composition, this pop classical uh, genre that um, I, I think you know, has weaved its way in and out of indie um, from, you know, Seeger Rose to uh, our good friend Johnny Greenwood and what he mm. did on the, the latest uh, Radiohead album. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly uh, Rachel's is um, a moving example of that. Um, I got introduced to them by their... Um, by a friend of mine way back when for their album music for Egon Scheele, um, which 
apparently there is a uh, Pink Floyd dynamic going on here uh, where that album was sort of written uh, more by the David Gilmore, mm. uh, Nick Mason side of the group, um, whereas this album that we just listened to is more the uh, Roger Waters uh, sort of advanced uh, form of Rachel's. Uh, um, and, uh, yeah, this was the first time I'd listened to this particular album. Um, I'm pretty sure I had music for Egon Shield before, uh, you could even stream albums. So, uh, that's why it was the only one I'd listened to. Um, <laughs> cool. Uh, well now I have two, uh, two things to go back and listen to, um, based on your recommendation. It's not very surprising to hear that uh, a band that, again, seems to be sort of like three composers working together has sort of weird push-pull dynamics inside of it. Because, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I've heard this said about novels before, that there are very few novels that are collaboratively written that are any good. And uh, it seems to be the case with classical music, too. People just don't do that for yeah. whatever reason. Um uh, I, guess, I have no idea why. <laughs> I guess so. With this music, I I have a struggle with it, and that I don't. I can't. It's my enjoyment of it is almost uh, interrupted by the fact that I can't really describe what element of it that I am truly enjoying. I mean, mm. I know it's 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 beautiful. Um, it's it's you know shining, and its movement is. Um, you know, the, the movement, uh, captures the eye, um, of the mind, if you will. And you find yourself being kind of taken through it. But at the same time, I, I'm always like, okay, but where, you know, where do I get to rock out? Mm. Uh, <laughs> see, that's funny because, uh, with other things that sort of work a little bit in this vein, like the Sarah Paulson album, uh, I named in the first quarter is one of my favorites. Uh, you say, uh, like, if it's too swelling and too dramatic, you find it manipulative. So um, it's interesting that then you feel the lack of that uh, on something like this. Maybe there's a balance to be struck in the middle or something. Yeah, um, I don't. But see, this and 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 I would definitely say that I'd be more in, inclined to go towards. Uh, Rachel's than I would something that's over dramatic that again feels like it's more of a film score um, mm-hmm. and this definitely doesn't feel like you need to see something along with it although apparently it was composed um, sometimes live along with a modern dance mm-hmm. uh, performance um, which actually you know kind of gives it a little more context as to why it has so much movement within uh, its um, and, and variation within it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess that there I lack almost because I lack the words to describe it. Uh, I find myself, um, uh, sometimes, um, forgetting exactly what it is about it that I, that I enjoy. Yeah. I know what you're saying. There's something sort of, uh, disconcerting about listening to something and knowing that you don't really understand it on a technical level. Yeah. Um, (laughs) but, uh, uh, in one sense, actually just knowing a little, educating yourself even a little bit about that. I mean, um, 
so when I listen to minimalist music, uh, which again, there's a, it's, this isn't exactly minimalist, but there's a lot of minimalist influence on it. Um, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, paying attention to the, to the very slight variations that occur as, uh, the piece moves along and then, um, and noticing how that, you know, just little shifts in one part or another can create, uh, dramatic differences, um, in sort of mood or feel. And then also, um, knowing a little bit about how modes work, where you sort of play the same intervals, but you start from a different point on the scale, even just knowing a little bit about how those sorts of things work can, uh, which I, I, I'm not setting myself up as an expert here because I, that's about the extent of my knowledge. Um, <laughs> uh, the, even, even just knowing a little bit about that can really, uh, enhance your ability to, uh, feel confident in enjoying something like this. I, I, I find. That's true. This definitely straddles the line between um, classical music where you get a great benefit from understanding the technical feats that are happening uh, in the different measures and movements and rock music where all you have to do is feel it, man. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. All right, Joe. um, uh, Why don't you give us uh, another track? All right, so let's do Roving Woman by Connie Converse. People say a roving woman is likely not to be better than she ought to be. So when I stray away from where I've got to be, someone always takes me home. A lady never should habituate saloon. And that is where I find myself on many afternoons But just as I begin to blow away the phone Someone tips his hat to me and takes me was a roving woman by Connie Converse, uh, who was a, um, one of the, uh, pioneers, lost pioneers of, uh, singer songwriter music, uh, which is apparently a theme in the, uh, music (laughs) I discovered in 2016. Um, and she, uh, went to uh, New York City in, in the 1950s uh, when she was in her 20s uh, and tried to make her break in music. Um, and uh, she uh, was, you know, a few people found her. Uh, fortunately, uh, one person uh, uh, made some recordings of her, which is uh, one of which you just listened to. Um, and uh, you know they're just amateur uh, tape recordings, um, but she never she never made a break, um, and she actually left. This is a great uh, sad Wikipedia fact. She actually left Greenwich Village and New York in 1961, the same year Bob Dylan uh, moved there. <laughs> uh, um, 
went back to Ann Arbor um, and, you know, kind of just, you know, started normal jobs. And uh, then um, in a sad but uh, legendary detail of her biography in 1974, uh, just drove off from her home saying she was looking for a new life and uh, uh, was never heard from again. And no one has any idea what happened to her. Holy um, shit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a sad story. And um, her album, uh, this album of recordings called How, How Sad, How Lonely, um, is sad enough out of context. And once you know the context, um, is definitely one of the saddest albums I have ever listened to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's really good, though. Yeah. Um, so I had never heard of this lady. Is her name actually Connie Converse? Uh, her name is Elizabeth Eaton, uh, Converse. Okay. So Connie is her nickname. Okay. Still Converse is a funny last name. It is. Um, yeah. Um, I had never heard of her. Uh, what's funny is when <laughs> just before this podcast, when I was preparing by listening to your playlist, uh, Spotify, because I don't have premium played me suggested tracks off of, um, the playlist and it played me one of her other songs, uh, I presume it was about Poseidon. Um, maybe <laughs> that, it wasn't her, but it was somebody who sounded a lot like her. And so I have notes on that song. Um, <laughs> uh, I had listened to the song before that, yeah, but it's this the other one sounded similar <laughs> enough that I was confused. Um, anyway. Um, a, yes, she has a song called Father Neptune. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I've listened um, to yeah, I know, I just, yes, yes, but continue, <laughs> right. Yeah, so that one is also very good. Um, but uh, yeah, um, uh, I want to go back now and look at the lyrics to this song, Roving Woman, because um, they just struck me this time for the first time. That, uh, you know, uh, documents of uh, things like feminism that obviously existed before the 70s, but, um, you know, hadn't really flowered until later on. You know, so just the fact that this is sort of a proto-feminist song is always interesting to see uh, how these things were bubbling up before they really um, uh, emerged in full force. So um, that and then uh, <laughs> it's just a really sweet melody, you know, yeah. there's not much else to say about it. It's I, very, very cute. A lady, sh- a lady never should habituate saloons. And that is where I find myself on many afternoons. <laughs> so that's but, a great lyric. <laughs> yeah. Just as I begin to blow away the foam, someone tips his hat to me and takes me home. That's good. That's really good. Um, and, and yes, and also fascinating for its proto-feminist um, makeup. Um, so it's just, yeah. this this song is definitely more on the list for uh, my delight at the discovery of this artist. Um, and even though she has a, a sad story, uh, it's great that her music um, has been brought to light and that people are, um, you know, have, have recognized her um, as a, um, uh, as a pioneer. Um, yeah. 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 With those lyrics being that clever, uh, one of my other notes on father Neptune was just, it's, uh, the songs are almost like they're, they're like poems first and, uh, songs second, which is, um, cool because she's a good poem writer. Um, the, the father Neptune one is a good one about being in love with a seaman. Um, don't laugh, Jeff. Uh, 
But also in that one, she uh, baldly admits, like, I'm not a very devout uh, Christian. I don't go to mass. And it's it's always interesting along that same lines of proto-feminism to hear sort of uh, things that subvert our image of the past as sort of just like all trad Christians um, living in the suburbs. So that's all they did in the 50s. So, yes. Um, Yeah, yeah. Appreciating the diversity of the past is always fun to me. Well, I mean, it's so rare to see the document of, you know, how that rebellion of the 60s was beginning to form prior to Mm -hmm. then. And that wasn't, you know, totally kind of then reverse contaminated by what actually happened in the 60s. You know, the fact that she didn't keep recording. I mean, these, you know, these might still exist, but, or like, even if she'd like ended up in New York in like 1962 instead of the fifties, she probably would have, you know, recorded, uh, very different songs that were, um, just as good, but less insightful to us. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That's totally true. She yeah. probably would have been a folk artist like, uh, Bob Dylan. Right. Um, but, uh, which, what would you call this genre? It's just sort of like American, well, old-time I mean, pop or something. I, I don't know. I guess I'm guided by uh, the, um, by, like in so many things, I'm guided by the internet uh, to call it singer <laughs> to call it singer songwriter. Um, okay, which, but it's still in such a different mode from what emerged in the decades right after that. You know. Yes, yes, it's like the earliest form of that um, in the way that in the way that early rock music. Uh, is so different from what emerged post Beatles. Um, yeah, very true. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, great, great pick. And uh, I, I now plan to listen to her uh, wonderfully titled album, How Sad, How Lovely, that's been released with all her songs on it. Um, yes, now that you know just how sad you can be while listening to it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, Joe. Um, do you have any final thoughts on uh, uh, the music or the endeavor of uh, finding the music that you discovered um, this year from past years? Well, I hmm, final thoughts. I would say that I have been more inspired this year than usual to go back to the past. And that was prior to the um, unending shitstorm of the past month or so uh, that has been this year. Um, and I, I don't know why. I mean, I think it's just that <laughs> I guess I'm older and there's more, there's more of the past that comes from like the time I was alive to, to look back towards um, and, uh, and I just have found myself maybe, um, uh, because I'm, I guess I'll admit that I'm slightly less inspired by, you know, the new genres of music coming out now, even though I love listening to them, um, that I'm probably, um, um, despite the fact that there's all this nice nineties revival music coming out, I'm still going back and listening to music that sounded like, uh, what I liked at a younger age. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Joe. The, the past grows larger every minute. Um, yes. (laughs) Uh, putting that over a techno beat. Um, anyway, um, uh, my my final thought is not so much about uh, music from the past as such, but just um, comparing your uh, selections versus mine. 
it occurred to me that, um, you know, I've talked in, before about uh, how I relate to music mostly in the album format because mm-hmm. of various things that does for me. But there definitely are costs to that, I, it, it occurred to me, uh, particularly because there are things like, like Tractor Rape Train or um, Atomic Bomb. Uh, these are songs that I'd heard before, but because I wasn't totally bowled over by the albums they're on, mm-hmm. I sort of just moved on from them. And um, uh, I should probably let myself be a little bit more flexible in hanging on to just one or two good tracks um, the, without forcing myself to listen to the entire album around them if that's not really what I want to do because uh, there's really great music and good experiences you can have just sort of collecting singles like that. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a learning experience. No, that's a that's a good point. That's that's interesting um, that you looked at it that way, and that's true. That sometimes the um, the success or failure of an album can um, you know stop you from listening to the uh, individual songs, especially if the artist is approaching the songs um, uh, in in different ways, or if they they come from you know different you know slightly different points in the the you know their the, the two year period that, you know, resulted yeah. in that album. Um, it's funny. I had the, I was thinking about it, uh, our difference in albums and songs. I think because this is the one place where you just blatantly chose albums and I chose songs. Um, <laughs> and I was like, you know, in some ways I'm, it's like we have a movie podcast and I went back and said, Oh yeah, I discovered these awesome scenes from movies. In the past. <laughs> and, and that is, you know, in some way, like, that's just, I was like, okay, you know, it's, it's a bit of a, an, it could be a bit of an odd way. I know it's not quite, the metaphor doesn't quite work. Yeah. But, um, there are important uh, failures in the metaphor that actually make your case a lot stronger in that <laughs> nobody largely by and large movies aren't made scene by scene. Uh, whereas, even great albums often are constructed song by song and then later they sort of stitch it all together. So it's actually a very sensible way to approach music, especially <laughs> with old music where they didn't care about albums at all. True. Yes. Um, uh, these, some of these songs definitely crumb from a time where the album was um, in its inf- inf- infancy as a, uh, item of commercial convenience. Yeah. Like when Connie Converse was recording, it was not technically possible to release an album <laughs> as such. True. Um, the long player was a technical innovation of the fifties. Yes. Um, but now thankfully we can have nice long artsy conceptual albums. Mm. We even, can now have even our worst al- artists. We can now have infinitely long albums or albums that loop and you can't tell when they started and when they began once you start them. Um, those, those exist too. So technology is a, is a, a strange beast. What um, is the, I wonder what the longest album is. I'm, I'm going to Google that to, to end the show here. Well, I was, I was specifically referring to Nonagon infinity by, uh, I'm, I may have the rhyming words in this in the wrong order, but I believe the band is King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Um, <laughs> wow. They, they released that album this year. It's a psych rock album that does, in fact, loop uh, from the beginning to the end. So it's like Finnegan's Wake of albums. You just can keep going o- around and around and around. Hey, Paul, do you want to guess uh, what band has the uh, album with the longest title that went number one? 
Uh, ooh, I don't know that. I was going to guess that Fiona Apple's album had the longest title. Uh, it, uh, did, it, it did not go. Yeah, that's probably the longest that title that was like on the Billboard charts, I bet. Um, yeah. But it's our good friends, the 1975, who set that very record this this year with uh, I like it when you sleep for you are so beautiful yet so unaware of it really <laughs> yes a that album went number one b it has uh some claim to fame besides being just amazingly awful that sucks uh-huh. uh well at least pitchfork managed to save itself from naming it to their top 50 albums of the year amazingly um but that is a topic for a future podcast, Jeff. Yes. Um, the shortest album uh, is a popular album. Many people are saying that uh, uh, The Misfits' Earth AD um, was only f- nine songs and 14 minutes long. Mm. Impressive. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, wait, wait. Did you, with 1975, was that the longest album or the longest album title? Albus, longest album title. Okay, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's somebody who's released an album that had one letter in it that went number one, um, yes. like Led Zeppelin one, probably. There you go. Um, <laughs> yes, or anyway. no, or no letters in the album title. Technically. Yeah. <laughs> All right, All right. Um, Joe. Uh, I'm sure you join me in encouraging everybody to check us out on Twitter at Savage Beast Pod. Um, and uh, oh, before I do that, I should mention I just realized. We failed to name the opening track from this episode. Oh, yeah. Which was uh, Public Lim- uh, Public Image Limited's Albatross from their album Second Edition, which was another album I discovered this year uh, that is not from this year. Uh, it's cool, sort of um, funky uh, post-punk, so um, worth listening to. But anyway, uh, it's a classic uh, as regarded by many people. Anyway, check us out at Savage Beast Pod. Our website, savagebeastpod.com, has more information about us. And you can email us at savagebeastpod at gmail.com. And I will uh, indefatigably remind you to uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and rate us and review us there because um, that helps get the word out. So uh, thank you, everybody who does listen. And um, we look forward to hearing from anybody. Yeah, no one's uh, reviewed us on iTunes in quite a while, uh, and I, I thirst for it. <laughs> you're, you're the thirstiest, Joe. Please, please. Nobody come, denies this. Come give us that first one-star review. We, we need it. Absolutely. We need, we need to be put, put in our place. You know, I reactivated my iTunes account, um, but I won't give us our first one-star review. I want somebody else to pop my cherry that okay, way. Okay, okay. Um, and on that note, good, good night. night.